Wire Retail Podcast listeners, today we've got someone very special on our show. Meet Professor Richard Wilding, the supply chain superstar from Cranfield University. Imagine a thought leader who's not only shaped the world of logistics in fields like pharmaceuticals, retail, and automotive, but also encourages business leaders everywhere to make a real difference, economically, environmentally, and societally. With over 500 publications under his belt, Richard doesn't just talk the talk. He's a much sought-after voice, delivering keynote speeches around the globe. On LinkedIn, you might have stumbled upon his courses on resilient supply chain. Plus, he's got a key seat at the Global Board of Trustees for CIPS advocating for global excellence. And as if he wasn't busy enough, in recognition of his outstanding achievements in the area of logistics and AMP supply chain management, Professor Richard Wilding was appointed an officer of the most excellent order of the British Empire, OBE, by Queen Elizabeth II in the 2013 New Year Honors for Services to Business. If you're in the mood to be inspired and informed by a true industry giant, stay tuned. Let's join Alex and Professor Richard Wildings as he shares his wisdom. Obviously, I want to maximize the time that we have with you. I know there'll be a lot of listeners who, who will be just on tender hooks to, to what you've had to say. I think what would be super useful is if we can break down what supply chain is and, and get your perspective as, as a professional professor in, in this subject. So what is supply chain from your perspective? Okay, so, so I think one of the things that we're all recognizing now is that competition is no longer between an individual organization is between the supply chains they are part of. So this is absolutely critical then. We're not talking about, well, the way I sometimes summarize it just to wind people up is, is you're only as good as your worst supplier because we're all in networks of all these different organizations. So when you start to think about this, it's not a chain, it's a network, it's multiple connections all going on. And that creates some of the uh, if you like, the dynamics that we experience within supply chains. So when we're starting to actually really reflect on what the supply chain is all about, it's all about delivering value, of course. And really importantly, that means as a professor in supply chain strategy, I have to, if you like, be very, very close to my marketing colleagues and sales colleagues in uh, within the organization because in a way, they have an understanding of what is creating value for customers. And I think one of the challenges we've had in the past is, is that if you like, supply chain seen as some operational entity, um, and if it, it has to basically deliver value. But if you don't know what that value is, it's yeah. very difficult to actually deliver the value. So, so from a supply chain perspective, you have to understand the competitive strategy. That's basically about how demand is created by your organization, uh, whatever that is, um, how value is um, effectively being created. And then from a supply chain perspective, my job is really how do I actually deliver that value? How do I support the delivery of that value? So understanding that customer and the customer's customer becomes yeah. really front of mind when we're actually working in that way. So that becomes really important as we're actually moving forward to really have that clarity of what's going on. And then in simple terms, but it's not that simple, really there's often four key things I like to play with. It's the supply chain process design, the network and infrastructure design, even at a more micro level, it's the type of equipment we're using. So that's the overall network 
could be global, it could be more local in a country. Um, but then it's right down to, okay, what is the infrastructure equipment we're using in a particular facility? Because if, if you've got to be able to pick things within 30 minutes, you're probably yeah. going to have very different equipment to if you're going to pick things in or you've got a day to do it or something like that. Information systems, absolutely key. So we've got to think about the information systems design. And then we have to think about the organization. This is the people side of things and the yeah. skills of the people and how they're operating as well. So that, in, in a nutshell, we have to think about that competition is not between the individual companies. It's uh, between the supply chains they're part of. And then what we have to reflect on, well, often a definition of youth supply chain management is supply chain management is all about the management of relationships with, with all the stakeholders so that you can enhance value for that final customer, but also reduce costs for the supply chain as a whole. You've got to, this is something, what's in it for we? You can't yeah. kill your suppliers. Um, you've got to actually think about the totality of what's going on. Otherwise, the value delivery will start to break down. And that's one of the key things that we have to think through too. So I think um, that that's probably not, you know, a super concise definition, but um, yeah. hopefully I've summarized it in a, in a couple of minutes. In your experience that you've had over the years, uh, specific, because I know you also work across supply chains in general, not just retail. Mm -hmm. What is that in terms of the four areas? What is the thing that's always surprised you from a retail perspective? I think that one of the key things that we often find is, is that people will get locked into one mode of operation. I think this is, this is uh, quite interesting. Now, uh, there's a term which has been used for a while, and I've, I've used it. So, and people started discussing something called the bimodal supply chain. And we talk about two modes actually operating. So the first mode is really... It's, it's about lean, it's about predictable, it's, it's, it's that mode of operation. So if you're configuring your processes, your infrastructure, your network, your information systems, and getting your people to work in that, that lean, predictable environment, of course, that will structure a supply chain in a particular way. It will mean that you will have inventory positioned in that network in a particular way and so on and so forth. That's mode one. Mode two is very much focused on agility. It's the flexible side of things. It's, it's exploring new options and so on and so forth. And one of the things that we have to think of, if we think about the old normal, and I'll say the old normal was like 2019 before COVID came along and sort of um, uh, everybody suddenly realized, hey, we've got some issues here and yeah. bounced out of control. Um, so that old normal, you could say for most businesses, probably about, I don't know, 80% of what they were up to was in that mode one and maybe a smaller proportion in, in mode two operations. But when COVID came along, everything sort of switched around and we were having to operate in that mode uh, two yeah. uh, type of way of working. Um, and the problem that you get with that is, is your supply chain, your processes, your network infrastructure, your information systems, and your people are all geared to working in mode one. And it becomes very inefficient then for them to work in mode two, if that makes sense. So one of, one of the things which um, just early on in 2020, we were talking about the fact that um, you end up in a situation where 
you end up with a pre-new normal, which sounded awful. But what we were saying is we we're, we're going to be moving into a new normal, um, which we're sort of in now. We're in this new normal. The problem is what we've got is we've got a load of supply chains, a load of processes, infrastructure, um, information systems and people who are yeah. used to operating that old way. Now, the danger with that is your cost to serve goes through the roof because basically what you're trying to do is push product through a supply chain which isn't structured for the types of things that you're having to do. So if you end up in retail with everything moving online, the cost to serve dramatically changes. And it was fine when you had a very small proportion of your orders, you know, moving online. Oh, we can pick from the store, we can do this and we can do all, do all the rest of it. All of a sudden, when you've got a bigger proportion, that drives you to have to think very, very differently about this because you're into this mode two operation. And if you're, I mean, we all know picking from store is a very inefficient way of doing things if you're doing sort of grocery delivery or yeah. things like that. Really, what you need is these dark stores which are configured to optimize that type of operation. And what I would argue is, is the transition many organizations have been on is just it is just being too slow right. and the problem that we've got is is we've got even more stuff um coming at us at the moment it's like um we're, we're on the ocean and we got these waves coming and more yeah. waves coming and more waves coming we get a bit of calm and go oh that's great we're okay but there's still some more waves coming so yeah. Uh, so this new normal is very different to the old normal and uh, therefore we've got to restructure our supply chains to work in that way but unfortunately um, that takes a bit of time because it probably it probably took us 30 years to put what we had in before <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, part of, that's part of the challenge well and, and I think this is part of the when, when you see retailers get caught out by the various challenges in their supply chain and Cost of commodities is 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 high, and it I think has reduced a little bit since the start, but hasn't come down. And it's as you said, how do they efficiently um, optimize themselves to be able to serve the customers in a in especially with a cost of living crisis and in, and inflation in a in a sensible way? But then, how do you when you're meeting CEOs or board members and they're like we're uh, we're we're looking at re-optimizing this 30-year-old beast. We think technology is the answer, for example, right? So we're going to heavily invest in software and optimization in our warehouse and everything. I'm just curious, from again, from your experience, what is that thing that they're not thinking of? What is that thing that they always the got you, if you like, when they're going through the, the system redesign or the process redesign? I think one of the challenges for for businesses, and it is also a challenge for me, it's having also that uh, long view on what's actually going on. And you you can't constrain yourself to just looking at a, a very local market anymore. As we've realized, yeah. things happening on the other side of the world have an impact on, on us. <laughs> Maybe a few months or a few days later, but they yeah. do have that thing. So one of the things which I've been looking at recently is just some of the global mega trends. And everybody has their mega trend lists. Yeah. There are some common features. So there's a, there's a number of key things we're seeing. First, you, you just mentioned it, technology and digitization. Now that yeah. is absolutely critical. That is enabling us to do new things, but it's also enabling us to destroy some of the old things as well. So. Uh, so we, we've, we've got some real opportunities with that. 
sustainability and the whole ESG, environment, social governance yep. uh, area, at top of people's minds as well. But a really interesting thing is a term which is uh, being uh, talked about is the multipolar world, right? And geopolitics. So, so what that is, it's multiple centers of power and influence. So if we think about how things have changed in just the last five years, we're seeing, if you like, centers of power forming around the world. It could be China, it could be Russia, it could be Iran and so on and so forth. So we're getting this more fragmented sort of um uh, states of uh, states of power that has a big impact on the way we manage the networks and supply chains we're dealing with also global economic inflation of course um and that means that consumers are losing purchasing power i think that's uh, that's the key thing to think about it so if you're we're looking at china at the moment they're in a big deflation people's wages are in many situations are actually dropping and right. also we're we're seeing the prices as well in that particular market are actually dropping why because people have less uh, less cash to actually play with and and that is ultimately going to be sort of impacting um us as well we've got this it's basically what what does inflation mean it just means that i, I get less for the money i've got in my pocket right yeah so how can i create that value which the customers want um, in a way that I have to accept that I'm probably going to get less less out of this as well. So I'm going to have to get, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to have to think about how I can actually make my business work much harder. And then the other thing which is 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 just on the horizon is the changing demographics and if you like the talent challenge that we've got. So if you're looking at some of the changing demographics we've got in particular nations, you know, some nations it's actually well i mean most nations it's aging or we're getting um you know in some some nations the birth rates have dropped quite dramatically so yeah. that's actually forcing different things as well and that ultimately is going to impact what's actually going on now from a retail perspective all of these have big implications for the way we procure the way we have to manage things so if you've got changing demographics and we've got less workforce We've got to start thinking about technology and digitization, which means we're reliant on less workforce. I was working with an organization recently, two uh, facilities, two um, warehousing facilities doing the same job. Yeah. Um, one of them was super highly automated. Uh, one of them had, um, uh, I think it was a couple of hundred people in it doing the same sort of stuff. The other one had about, I can't remember what it was, about 20 to 50 people. So it was a big, a big difference. So you'd think to yourself, oh, we're saving loads of money in wages and everything else. Uh, well, no, actually, the wage differential was hardly anything. Why? Because those 50 people were earning far more because of the technical skills and everything else that they needed than yeah. the other the other hundreds of people in the, in the other yeah. place. And, and this is part of the thing that we're having to sort of see is the, the skills we need for today. So going back to my processes, infrastructure... Um, information systems and then the people and organization yeah. they if i'm having clever warehouses with um augmented reality and um sort of uh collaborative robotics embedded and so on and so forth yeah. and i put that into my infrastructure that then means that the people side of things is going to have to change as well 
okay? Because I'm going to need different types of people to operate that type of infrastructure. It will also have an impact on my processes. Mm. So because I've got all that, I can do things differently, which then has an impact on my information system. So you can see how it you, you, it, it changes everything in that particular in in that particular sort of environment, and that's part of the uh, the challenge of this that these things force us to do things differently. So global economic inflation, if people have got less buying power, what what is from that perspective? How can we offer the same level of value but with less resource? And that resource is all resources, you know, including our workforce, um, which is a resource, as well as it could be the materials we're using and everything else, which is going back to the sustainability agenda. So when we start to think we've got these big trends which are there, but they're all feeding off each other. So from a from a perspective of if we're thinking about retail and thinking about what's going on, getting back to your original question, it's really saying if, if I'm sitting there designing a warehouse for tomorrow and thinking about what's going on there, I've got to have a bit of an eye on what's happening globally. Yeah, because some of that is going to be impacting us at some point. We, we're no longer, we, we can't think that the old way of thinking that you could have the UK as a little island when it was beautifully surrounded or you'd have a nation which is just isolated from the world. It doesn't work like that anymore. We're totally dependent really on that network, that global network which we're dealing with. And of course that takes us into the whole world of risk and resilience because yeah. you then have to start thinking through, hang on a minute, can we... I need to multi-shore, um, not just multi-source. Yeah, caught out with that um, during during the pandemic. People saying, "Oh, yeah, I'm multi-source. I've got three suppliers." Unfortunately, they're all in northern all Italy. And they're all locked down. So it's now multi-shore. I need one in Italy. I need one in Brazil. I need one in you know the Far East. So that yeah. not so we we're hearing people talking about China plus one, China plus two, but that yeah. has big global implications because. All of a sudden, if, you, if it's China plus one, that means half your stuff's no longer coming from China. So you've got China hurting because they they, they haven't got um, yeah. that volume of stuff which is going on. And if it's China plus two, that means it's dropped by nearly 60%, the orders that you're placing on that nation. And, yeah. and that then has an impact on the social side of things. So, yeah, all these things are very much interrelated. It's very complex. <laughs> What's the time period that you're thinking of? 12 months, 18 months, 24 months? What is the... I, I think you're having to really sort of look. You're having to... It's interesting. We did some work on um, supply chain strategy and how often people actually thought about their supply chain strategy and developed it. And this work goes back quite a number of years. We were doing it in you know the, the, the 2010s and stuff like that. And in those days, everybody used to be talking about this thing that, oh, yeah, it'll be five years five-year horizon and what we're actually finding now is it's sort of yet yeah, you'll have a vision of where you're going but it's got to adapt it's the scenarios we've got to work through the scenarios in terms yeah. of what we're doing and, and really if i look at supply chain resilience so i mean resilience it's not just about it, really important concept and this is the adaptive capability of the supply chain and there's really you know, three key areas prepare for unexpected events respond yeah. to disruptions and recover from them by maintaining continuity of operations so it's prepare respond and recover 
and that requires, if you like, that 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 scenario planning. How often do you take your supply chain teams through a um, sort of a, a, a simulation of yeah. what would happen if this took place? What would happen if a volcano um, uh, went off again in Iceland and and grounded grounded air freight again? What would happen if um, the uh, the ports got uh, you know shut down or Suez Canal? These yeah. are the types of things we need to do now. We've seen those come along, and the problem is with many organisations, they have very short memories. <laughs> so corporate memory isn't very long. That becomes uh, really important. It's how do we actually learn and create that uh, that philosophy which we can uh, really think about, have front of mind our supply chain resilience as we're moving forward. And I think it's interesting because um, I launched, oh gosh, it is just over a year ago now, this um uh, on LinkedIn learning, supply chain fundamentals, risk and resilience. So it's 90 minutes, 26 short videos, just right. taking people through the basics. And I had to make it really accessible to everybody because I believe that this matter who you are in a business. Yeah, yeah. You've got to understand supply chain resilience because if you're in an HR, human resources department, for example, you will have an impact on supply chain resilience through the people you actually recruit into the business. So you need to have an understanding of some of the issues which are going on. And what's interesting about that is we we have tools which have been available to us for years. We've got international standards on risk management, and we can use those with a supply chain viewpoint and perspective. And that will really help us. We've got international standards on business relationships. Supply chain management is all about management of relationships. But these things don't happen by accident. We have to actually work at them and plan them and have a process in place to help develop them. So those are available. So all these things enable us to go through that sort of prepare, respond and recover and get that way of working embedded into our businesses. And it's just, it's just, it's just really important. I mean, what's been great about that is that it's um, had over seventeen thousand people have completed that. Wow. And I just think about that will have a big impact on supply yeah. chain resilience globally. Hopefully, in a very positive way. But it's getting different businesses thinking about it and um, getting this front of mind um, when when we're actually doing things. That that's the importance of what we're trying to achieve with. If you go through the course, what you start to realize is, is this is not something for a team or an individual to do to a business. It's yeah. actually something, it, it's, it's like um, if you go back a couple of dec- decades, remember total quality management and how you'd have a quality department. Um, yeah. Now, many companies go to do not have a quality department. It's just business as usual for everybody. Everybody has that embedded, that way of thinking, that culture. And I think that's really important. You need a supply chain risk management culture in your yeah. business. And, w- and what I say to people is, is culture, but the simple definition, which upsets all of my academic colleagues, but I use it anyway, uh, but yeah. which is culture is what people do in the absence of instruction when yeah. they're under a bit of pressure. So how does the business yeah, respond if it's under a bit of pressure? Are they thinking yeah. supply chain risk or are they just thinking oh, I need to get my bonus or something else. Um, are they thinking that? Yeah. And what we have to think is, is if everybody says, so you're in this and you ask the question, how will this change the risk profile of the supply chain? 
How will it change the risk profile of the supply chain? So I'm going to start sourcing from India rather than China. So how's that going to change the risk profile of the supply chain? I'm going to introduce these new financial metrics on the business. How will that change the risk profile of the supply chain? Because it's going to mean that people are going to be focusing on this issue rather than something over here. Um, yeah. um, I'm going to recruit these types of people into this particular role. Um, and how will that change the risk profile of the supply chain? So if you start asking that type of question, it becomes becomes quite important then as you're as as you're uh, moving forward with this. So we're, we're starting to see this whole um, this whole sort of concept coming. And there's a lovely term which DHL has been uh, talking about. They talk about supply chain diversification and it's developing flexibility and redundancy to minimize risk and increase agility. So, so really it's this flexibility and redundancy. So when you look at a supply chain, it's, it's that network. How do we keep it healthy? How do we keep it healthy? And I was sort of reflecting on some of this. I came up with, it's a bit like, um, heart, heart bypass surgery. We, we yeah. put in a, a little vein here and a little vein there so that we can maintain the flow to keep, keep the heart healthy. Yeah. And um, that's what we're having to think about in supply chains now in terms of creating that resilience. You might have, well, we want to use that main flow for the majority of the time, but I need to have a few backups yeah. um, because something could happen and I need to think carefully about that. And I do think there's a good proportion of supply chain um, uh, leaders who are starting to really reflect on that. And also procurement, procurement leaders as well. I mean... It's amazing to see uh, last night at the uh, at the Charter Institute Procurement Supply Awards some of the innovation which is taking place there because they're having to think a little bit differently because we talk about multi-shoring. Um, yeah. It's actually a tough deal. All of a sudden you're trying to find new markets to find these things. Do you have the language skills? Do you have the capability? Do you, how, how do you manage the flows and so on and so forth to keep it all working? Earlier on in the conversation, you, you mentioned sustainability and its impact on the supply chain. I was just wondering if we could just spend one or two minutes unpacking what sustainability in the supply chain looks like or what are some of the activities within that area? Yeah, I, I mean, one, one of the key things that we can actually start doing is uh, um, one of the things that is we talk about product service system. So all this technology and all this digitization it's actually moving us away from, if you like, that physical product so to what we call like a, serv a service. So we're starting to sell services. So it's servitization. It's the, it, they, and they talk about the innovation uh, mm. of an organization strategy from products to offering solutions. And product mm. service systems is products and services delivering value to the customer. And we're seeing this already, be it HP printers with getting your ink cartridges, it's highly reliant on effective supply chain, Rolls-Royce, uh, you pay by hour for the use of the engines and so on and so forth, and yeah. buying that physical thing and so on and so forth. And so what's actually quite interesting, I think, from that is, is that when we think about the product, these, these new services that we're off offering, Effectively, you've got the forward logistics, which is the lovely supplier to the manufacturer or remanufacturer, distributor, retailer, customer. But then we've also got the reverse logistics, which might be repair, refurbish, dismantle, recycle, 
and then back into the supplier. Now, yeah. what I find really useful to think about this is, is in the, if you like, the forward logistics, we're really talking about value being co-created. So it's the creation of value to the customer. But the really important thing then is, is the retention of value. So that repair, refurbish, dismantle, recycle, it's actually value being retained. And I think this is what many companies are starting to see. If we yeah. go about this in the right way, it's not, a, a, this is a real opportunity for our businesses rather than, a, rather than something which is going to cost us money. It's actually retaining value as we go back through that. And we've just seen recent announcements, haven't we, from uh, Apple, for example, saying that their, their watches now are a, 100% sort of uh, zero footprint in terms yeah. of using recycled materials and this, that, and the other. And I noticed that cobalt, which is, um, uh, and can, I think yeah. cadmium in their batteries, um, yeah. probably mixed up. But anyway, they, um, uh, they're, they're basically saying we're, we're not, we're, we're now using recycled uh, for the next generation of what we're doing. So there we're starting to see this value retention. And I think that's a really positive way to think about it. So we think about sustainability. This is something about retaining value. How do we retain value rather than just chuck it into the ground and forget about it? It's mm. how retain that from what we're doing. Yeah, I mean, look, the, you, you can't talk about the, the focus on sustainability without talking about the risk to the planet, right? In, in the sense that, that it's something that we're trying to mitigate that future mm. risk by focusing on something that we know that scientifically is proven that it's going to have an impact on us and so the more the circular economy sort of spreads out into companies like apple and and the the economy and, and i think it was the donut economy that talks about that circular yeah. uh, economy um with people profit and planet which is great but just going back onto risk and how you mitigate that what that looks like what, what are your what are your thoughts on that what what where does it start What's the process? Where does it end? Okay. Well, I mean, in, in you know, simple terms, we have to. You know, we we're often having to start with risk evaluation, and I, uh, I generally have three useful questions to ask. How will this the risk disrupt our company, and what right. is the potential financial impact on the business? So that's a really important yeah, thing. Financial risk really happen. Yeah. You know, what is the financial impact? Yeah. The next thing is is how long would we be exposed to the disruption before it can be fixed? And that's often another really interesting thing. So risk yeah. is also time dependent. Yeah. If it's something which, it, so for me, um, I had a new router in my house on Monday <laughs> and I thought, oh dear, this is, this is a bit risky. And I had a meeting that afternoon and yeah. I warned everybody it could go down and everything was up and running and i thought this is great this is great this is great <laughs> and then bang everything just disappeared <laughs> for about i don't know what was going on some sort of crazy update or something like yeah. that but anyway it all dropped out but how long for me to get started again well of course it's i had a bit of a plan right okay let's make a mobile hotspot with my phone and at least then i'll be able to get back into the meeting and yeah. go on my laptop and all the rest of it so i know that that was quite a short period of time how long will i be exposed uh, before it can be fixed but then also what is the cost of recovering from a disruption in terms of the emergency actions we may need to take to fix things so it's um it, it's one of those things that um what is the cost so i'm gonna have to 
what's the worst case? Let's say it didn't come back. What would I have to do? Well, the cost for me in my simple example is I'm probably going to have to go and get a, um, a um, I don't know, one of these um, sort of Wi-Fi modem type things, which yeah. runs on a 4G chip or something like that. So I, I know that might cost me, I don't know, 100 pounds, right? Yeah. But we have to ask those questions. How will the risk disrupt um, our company and what are the potential financial impact? How long would we be expo will we be exposed? And then what is the cost of recovering? And you see, once we've done that, we can go into analyzing our exposure. And that is really, it's it's the likelihood. So how likely is this going to happen? What is the impact? But also, what is the difficulty of detection? So if we think about some of the risks we're having to deal with now, cyber particularly, somebody could be sitting in your computer systems, harvesting credit card details for a long period of time. Yeah. It, could be, it could take, it could be very difficult to detect, okay? And yeah. so we're able to create scores, which then focus us in on those really important things. So you might say it's very low likelihood, very um, high impact. Yeah, but it's not very likely, but actually the difficulty of detection is massive. massive. So, hey, we need to think about something around that. And then really what we then do is we have to create what we call risk treatment plans. And a risk treatment plan is um, very simply what is going to be the risk treatment who is responsible? And this is where many companies fall over. They don't make anybody responsible for thinking through this. What is the time frame? Once again, we're back to time. Many people sort of think that this won't happen. And then how will we monitor and review it? And really, there's um, there's six key things we can do. We can remove the risk completely. We yeah. can change the likelihood, of course. You might say, well, actually, that thing there, what I'll do is I'll go with another provider or another supplier because then that might make it less likely. We can change the impact. So I have to, one of the examples I use in my LinkedIn course is we have, a, we have a big party and we worry about drinks getting spilled all over the floors. Well, what I can do to change the impact is we just have like drinks mopping up stations, which all the family know about, hidden around the house. So if yeah. somebody, you know, drops a glass of red wine, we're on it within, <laughs> within a fraction of a second. Yeah. It changes the impact. We can share the risk. Can we share that with other supply chain partners? And then we might just make the decision, we retain the risk. At the end of the day, we're not going to be able to remove everything. We just say, we've just got to retain that. And uh, it might cost us whatever. We'll re retain it. But also what we need to be able to do is increase the speed of detection. So this goes back to all our digitization analytics. I want to have that yeah. continuous monitoring. Um, and, you know, detection across the supply chain. So by getting those things in place and thinking through procure for resilience rather than for cost, you've yeah. got to start thinking about that. We've got to explore onshoring, nearshoring, multi-shoring, as we've said. We have to think about innovation, but really key to all this is going back to relationships. As I said, supply chain management is all about relationships. It's collaboration along the supply chain. Those companies which did really well, they collaborate really well, and that will actually help you mitigate a lot of the risks. So um, we, we painted earlier on quite a bleak picture, but actually there's a lot of things that we can simply do. And if we can get the culture right within our business, with everybody thinking about how will this impact the risk profile of yeah. the supply chain, all of a sudden it's going to change things. And what you know, I would love to happen is that everybody... In a business, it doesn't matter who you are, a receptionist or somebody like that. They just have some understanding 
of yeah. plane risk. When we give everybody fire extinguisher training and fire training and diversity yeah, yeah, yeah. and inclusivity training, well, hang on a minute. Um, that's probably less likely. Well, it might do. Is it going to shut your business down? Your supply chain is probably a higher risk and it could shut your business down pretty quickly. So let's actually all get focused around it. I, I, I love it. And, and and I'm sure people are now going to be going on to different search engines to try and find you and that LinkedIn course. So where, where can I, final thought. So thank you so much. Where can I find out more about your, your what you're thinking and what is the name of that LinkedIn course? Okay. So the, the LinkedIn course is a supply chain uh, fundamentals at risk and resilience. It's on LinkedIn Learning. Um, if you want to find me, you can go to richardwilding.info. Okay, yeah. so um, I've I've got my own website, and of course you'll find me on LinkedIn as well. Uh, so you can um, uh, you can use that. And the nice thing about LinkedIn is um, you can uh, I shouldn't be saying this, but with with LinkedIn Learning, um, yeah. you can generally get it comes with LinkedIn Premium. But also yeah. many corporates have it as part of their Microsoft agreement. Okay. Oh, so, yeah, so it's not like you might find your company already gives you access to LinkedIn learning um, yeah. and you're able to do it. And there's a great wealth of stuff going on on there on the supply chain side as well, which really can help introduce you. So a lot of universities now are using the courses for pre-learning and uh, post-learning. So students are actually going through those. So there's a great opportunity. But more importantly, my goal is challenging and inspiring business and supply chain leaders to innovate. So what I want people to do is go through these things and then take it into their world and really innovate with it, create some value out of it. I, I, I'm sure they will. And one thing I will ask is, will you come back in maybe three months or just, as we're coming into 24 and just have another conversation about the, the, the things that we should be focused on because i think it's it's through conversation and having things at top of mind that we can impact and have an, an, an impact on culture which is ultimately yeah. what, what what we're trying to do so was that a yes you'll come back yes it'll be a pleasure <laughs> it'll be a pleasure to come back <laughs> thank you professor wilding thank you so much